The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. Really glad you could join me today as we conclude uh, the topic of the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ at his second coming and uh, more so the establishment of the millennial kingdom and a little of what it probably is going to be like living in that kingdom. So if you will, imagine for a moment a perfect world. Would people follow the Lord Jesus Christ in this world? And so we have uh, a few verses, uh, verses 4 to 9 in chapter 20 of the book of Revelation that suggest that that is not going to be the case because the millennium is a time where God is testing his people under the most ideal conditions, a perfect peace, a perfect government, a perfect health, subdued spiritual forces, Even nature is subdued. But at the end, when Satan is released, after this thousand-year period, Scripture tells us that a great multitude will follow him, revealing one key point about mankind. And that is, man's heart is irrevocably at war with God. And so this is the last and final rebellion of man against God. So if you can imagine a world where there's no evidence of rebellion in the streets, no crime, no illness, no shortages of anything, just an extended peace. And then on the flip side of that, evil cannot persist in this kingdom. There'll be no opportunity for the uh, upspringing of the moral evils that are within many of us. They will not have opportunity to to be expressed. There'll be no murders, no adulteries, no fornication, uh, no false witnesses, no no blasphemies. And the list goes on as it's uh, dealt with in Matthew's gospel and and, uh, Paul's writings. Man will not have an opportunity to express that depraved nature that is in him. And this too will be found to be a constraint And then we're going to see the results of this uh, constraint or the, the reaction to this constraint later on in this podcast. So here we are imagining a world where the forces of darkness also are captured and imprisoned. And add to that, there is universal worship of the Lord Jesus Christ as the only divine service that people will be attending. Imagine that. It will be mandatory for all nations to have to go to Jerusalem yearly to worship the universal Son of God at his temple in Jerusalem. And the scripture tells us, and we'll see later on, that the nation that refuses to do so will be deprived of rain. 
There'll be no palm readers, no tea leaf readers, no prognosticators, nothing of the sort. All of these will be absolutely forbidden. And I'm only giving you a snapshot of the millennial kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 24 records the events at the end of Gentile dominion. I've said that repeatedly in the last two podcasts. And it also addresses the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, followed by the establishment of Christ's kingdom in chapter 26. And that's what we're going to address in today's podcast. In Zechariah chapter 14, it tells us of the the first major step in the establishment of this kingdom. And that is, the Lord Jesus comes down, sets foot on the Mount of Olives, and the kingdom commences. And here's what the scripture says, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem toward the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, a great valley. And half of the mountain shall move toward the north and the other half toward the south. And so we have before us the commencement of the judgment of the surviving nations. And and I mentioned before in a prior podcast that hypothetically, Assuming, say, 6.8 billion people, approximately 3.4 billion have survived the tribulation period and they're gathered before the Lord Jesus after he defeated this multi-million man army. And his stepping onto the mount was followed by a massive earthquake which has widened the landscape north to south, resulting in an expanded width of land east to west. And in this expanded width of land is where this uh, approximately 3.4 billion people are now standing before the Lord Jesus Christ and divided according to sheep and goats. And so now, having survived the, uh, the, uh, uh, what are they, the um, tribulation period, the sheep who have extended mercy, compassion to the Jewish nation, to the nation of Israel, are ushered into the kingdom. And and what we are seeing is what makes up the citizenship, the population of this kingdom. And in Matthew 25, in verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then shall he sit down upon his throne of glory. And all the nations shall be gathered before him, and he shall separate them one from, the, one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And we learned also from Matthew uh, 16 and 27 that the purpose of this judgment is to render to each according to his doings. And this becomes the basis, as I've mentioned before, of the judgment, the treatment of his covenant people Israel. And then we have another group uh, that was gathered to him in Matthew 24 and 31, uh, the gathering of the elect, 144,000 Jewish sealed believers. And they were divinely secured and protected by God himself. And and the scripture says, "He He shall send his angels with a great sound of trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one extremity of the heavens to the other extremity of them. And so this second group is gathered along with the Gentile nations who extended mercy and compassion to the Jewish people. 
And we are told also that uh, at the completion of the age, in Matthew 13, 49, the angel shall go forth and sever the wicked from the midst of the just and shall cast them into a furnace of fire and they, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the goat nations who persecuted the, the Jewish nation, they were ushered into a furnace of fire. And so now, the Lord Jesus has made this separation. He told them when he was hungry and when he was a stranger and he was thirsty and so forth, they gave him drink, they showed compassion. And now their reward, if you will, is that they are entering into the millennial kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only these two groups, but we also have the saints, the Christians who were raptured prior to the Great Tribulation. They were raptured. And they returned with the Lord Jesus, as we learned in our prior podcast, as he came from glory. So they are going to be the ones that are, if you will, officiating in this kingdom. They are the political leadership, if you will. And keep in mind that people will be born during this uh, millennial kingdom, this thousand-year reign. And it will probably be the greatest population explosion that Earth has ever experienced. But a third aspect of this kingdom, and, and what we're doing is just taking a look, taking snapshots of this kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the, uh, the characteristics, of course, is that he has and exercises global dominion and suppresses all rebellion. In fact, in the second Psalm, 7th to about the 12th verse, the writer says, I will declare the decree Jehovah has said unto me, you are my son. I this day have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for an inheritance and for your possession, the ends of the earth, a global dominion. And here is the suppression of rebellion. It goes on to say, you will break them with a scepter of iron as a potter's vessel, you shall dash them in pieces. And now, O oh, you kings, be wise, be admonished, you judges of the earth. Serve Jehovah with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, though his anger burns but a little. So this is a, a snapshot of the Lord Jesus Christ's dealings with the nations, the leadership within his kingdom. And he has complete dominion over all the nations. This is his inheritance. This is what the Father has given to him to establish a holy, and I emphasize, a holy rule. However, he will be intolerant of anarchists. We saw that in verses 2 and 3. The leaders of the nation will find his holy, righteous uh, rulership a constraint, and they plotted to break away. And this incites his holy displeasure. Verse 9, they will be subdued by his power, and they are admonished and encouraged to be wise and to admonish themselves because it is in their best interest to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with fear and dread. 
Now, we see a similar principle in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 30 and 32, or 30 through 32, where Paul admonishes the believers in Corinth concerning their disorderly behavior at the Lord's table. And he says to them that a man should examine himself before participating in this holy sacrament. The net result of failure to do so is that in the church at Corinth, he said, many of you are weak and sickly and some of you sleep, meaning it's a euphemism for some of you died. Why? Failure to judge themselves. And so the same warning is given in the second psalm. A fourth characteristic is that spiritual forces are subdued as well. We find Satan at work, for example, in the book of Job, where he seeks to incite Jehovah's, uh, uh, well, if you will, to, to remove the boundaries around Job, to drop his, his uh, mercy, if you will. And so he's, he's seeking permission to test Job with loss and suffering, with one objective that ultimately Job will curse God. And so this satanic scheming will be removed altogether because we are told in chapter 20 of the book of Revelation that Satan will be bound in the abyss for a thousand years. And so at the inception of the millennial kingdom, we are told that God used one angel, verses 1 to 3, one angel, mind you, descending with the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And the scripture goes on to tell us, and he laid hold on the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him that he should no more, and here it is, deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be loosed for a time. And so this is one of the factors that contributes to the global peace characterizing the millennial reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. Neither nations nor peoples will be deceived anymore. In fact, their eyes will be open as they've never been opened before. There will be no need for people to rebel or to create riots in the streets. Why? Because there are no spiritual forces to incite them to evil. All rebellion. All rebellion is suppressed, both in the spiritual world as well as on the earth. And so, for example, and in contrast, it will not be as it is in our day today. In that day, in the millennium, we have a surviving three plus billion souls that passed through the tribulation. We have believers that were raptured prior to the tribulation in their glorified bodies, officiating in the administration of this kingdom. We have those who were beheaded during the tribulation and later resurrected from the dead. And we are told that they lived and reigned with the Lord Jesus Christ in a millennial kingdom. And then we have the 144,000 uh, Jewish elect. And we have, of course, the surviving one-third of the nation of Israel. This is the aggregate initial population of the Lord Jesus' millennial kingdom. And so essentially, the earth will be populated by these groups of people and by us, the saints, in our glorified bodies. And I'm suspecting that the angelic hosts will be doing a lot of the heavy lifting. <laughs> and the righteous God, the Son of God, will be sitting on the throne of earth. It'll be far easier for holiness and righteousness to prevail in this kingdom, but difficult to practice evil. 
Right now, in governments spread throughout the earth, they are ruled by people who are, for the most part, self-serving politicians. Many of the laws that are passed are done so to appease the populace and to, in many cases, legislate evil in the guise of it being good. But this will not be the case during the millennial reign of our Lord Jesus Christ because the administration in that kingdom will be holy and heavenly and spirit-filled with no possibility of legislating evil or, uh, or uh, be able to accept bribes or to be self-serving. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who will execute and establish the laws of his kingdom. And essentially, we have the second person of the Trinity ruling and reigning on the earth for a thousand years. That's right, the Son of God. The fifth characteristic of this kingdom, and we're just taking snapshots, looking ahead to the future. For example, Isaiah prophesied that during the millennial reign, the very topography of the land will have changed. And he says in the second verse of chapter 2, the mountain of Jehovah's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow into it. There shall be universal worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, currently, people may opt to go to church, if you will, or visit some house of worship or light a candle or, or rehearse uh, some phrase or a group of phrases, or they may sit for 20 or 30, 40 minutes to hear some instructions from the Bible. Um, but that's not what going, what's going to be in the, in the latter days in this kingdom. Nations will be required to actively worship the person of the Lord Jesus Christ as he sits on his throne, ruling the entire earth from Zion, which currently is Jerusalem. It will be clear to everyone that he himself is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, worthy of all glory, honor, praise, and worship. The reason being, the, the history of his person will have been known in that kingdom. How that he was the promised redeemer from the time of the garden with Adam and Eve and, and the, the scriptures and the workings of God will be the instruction that will be given to this entire kingdom. And we will learn of his incarnation and his, his sacrificial work on Calvary's cross and his indwelling the saints and, and all the truths that are in the word surrounding the Lord Jesus Christ, the land that took away the sins of the world, will be taught and the nations instructed in the ways of God and in his person. And so this is going to be the basis of worship. Isaiah goes on to share a little of the universal trek to Jerusalem and what it was about. He says again in that second chapter of Isaiah, verse 3, and, and many peoples shall go in and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of Jehovah, to the house of the God of Jacob. And here it is, and he will teach us of his ways, and we shall walk in his path. 
For out of Zion shall go forth the law and Jehovah's word from Jerusalem. Oh, my friends, it's going to be marvelous for those who cherish holiness. But for those who want to rebel, there will be no opportunity. However, this yearly trek, this became the opportunity for the nations to understand what God is like and who God is. In contrast to our current society, there are many who purport to teach the masses about God. However, in the end, many are sanctioning unholy living. And we even have legislators who are legislating anarchy and rebellion against God by codifying immorality. However, in the millennial kingdom, that will not be the case. Not only will men learn of God, but there is the intention of living a lifestyle that brings honor and glory to the living God. And so Isaiah goes on to say that the law, God's mandate, will go out from Jerusalem. This is the, <laughs> this is the communication center of the world. This will be the center of government on the earth. This will be the place where laws that glorify God will be established and righteousness shall spring forth from Jerusalem. We go on. The scriptures don't give us a lot of insight into the circumstances that will impact the nations or cause the nations, for example, not to see eye to eye. However, uh, the Spirit of God through Isaiah says the following in verse 4. And he, that is the Lord Jesus, shall judge among the nations and shall reprove many peoples. And they shall forge their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning knives. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so this is an amazing prophecy because the Lord Jesus will govern the earth in such a way that national conflicts will come to an end. And there will be a clear recognition by the national rulers that there is no place or purpose for weaponry. The metal and plastic and all the implements that were used for war will be converted for agriculture and war will have ceased for the full thousand years. My friends, there'll be no reason to invest uh, 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 financial resources for the development of weapons. Why? <laughs> because there will be global peace such as there has never been before because of the power and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is really interesting is that the prophet Micah notes the same uh, uh, prophetic perspective about the exaltation of Jehovah's house. And the fact that nations are going into worship and they're going to be taught about what God is like and who he is. However, Micah adds an additional note. And he says, They shall sit, everyone, under his vine and under his fig tree. And there shall be none to make them afraid, for the mouth of Jehovah of hosts has spoken it. So contentment is the key word. There will be economic sufficiency for every man, woman, and family. And Micah specifies this by identifying, uh, quote-unquote, his vine and under his fig tree. We live in an age 
and in societies in which there are great disparities between the peoples and, and between nations, and, and these disparities are driven by economic factors or geographic location, but that will not be the case in the millennial kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, as there will be equity and sufficiency for all men globally. There will be no reason, if you will, to <coughs> excuse me, to cover to covet another man's belongings, because everyone will have sufficient for his or her needs, and in perfect balance with everyone else. And so one may ask, well, how is this going to be? How can this be accomplished? as the Gentile nations have never been able to establish governments based on just and, and equitable systems of distribution. And Micah says that the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jehovah, has spoken it. That means he's going to do it, and it's going to be accomplished. Uh, one additional point that I think is very important, and that is the fact that nations are learning about God. This is the antithesis of our Western and Eastern cultures. As, we, as you hear the sound of my voice, there is a, a prevalent polytheistic worldview and great confusion as to who and what God is like. And as a result of this confusion, many have devised their own systems of religion that explains to their satisfaction the nature of God. But this will not be the case in the millennial reign of our Lord Jesus as the Son of God himself takes the responsibility upon himself to instruct the nations as to who and what God is like. A sixth characteristic found in Isaiah 11, verses 4 to 9, is that nature and the predatory instincts of animals will be subdued or removed. And here are the facts as Isaiah uh, lays it out for us. And he states, he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, and it shall slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his reins and faithfulness the girdle of his loins. And here it is. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lay down with the kid and the calf and the young lion uh, and the fatted beast together. And a child shall lead them. So firstly, we are of the opinion that Living in the millennial kingdom might be easy for some people, but it might not be. It might be a little challenging. And here's why many of our laws, and, and I'm going back to the whole point of our laws again. Here's why many of our laws are made, in fact, a lot of our laws are made based on negotiation or expediency or some sort of a quid pro quo. However, in this kingdom, it'll be based on what is right from the divine perspective, God is looking for and establishing laws that keep men in a judicially balanced, holy, right relationship with God. And that standard, the standard becomes, does the action that is codified in the law enable a man or woman to remain in right relationship with God without offense? If the answer to that is yes, it is righteous. But going back to the predatory uh, instincts, uh, as was mentioned, uh, nature and animals that have an instinct to be a predator is removed. Wolves, leopards, lions, and all the predatory cats and animals will no more prey on the more domesticated animals. 
because that nature will have been subdued or removed. And Isaiah goes on to say that so complete is this change that the leopard shall actually lay down together with a kid, as well as the lion. And children will be able to, if you will, put a leash on them and lead them as you would a domesticated animal. So in essence, the need to prey on domesticated animals for food will have been changed and predatory animals will now eat straw and grass. So the scripture tells us. So complete is this change that even uh, vipers will be subdued and not protect themselves with poison fangs. In fact, in Isaiah 65 and verse 25, we are told that they will actually eat dust for food. So in a word, animals will not hurt or destroy other animals anymore on the earth. In fact, Isaiah says it by, in, in the 11th chapter, 9th verse. He says, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Jehovah. The earth permeated with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They shall not hurt or destroy anymore. Lastly, longevity. Not only will political systems and nature undergo a sort of transformational change on a sort of holistic level, but the, the human lifespan will be affected as well. And the Spirit of God gave Isaiah insight into this when he wrote in Isaiah 65 and verse 20, There shall be no more henceforth an infant of days, nor an old man that has not completed his days. For the youth shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. Now that's interesting. If a person, if a young person dies, in other words, if a person dies at a hundred years old, assuming they are righteous, they'll consider that person to have been a youth. But a rebel that dies at 100 years old or a criminal, they will consider him accursed. So imagine you've been living for 100 years and your neighbors think you're just a baby, you're just a kid. <laughs> that will be the part of the blessing that will, that will characterize the millennial reign of our Lord Jesus. And I'm suspecting, even though we're not given specifics, that just as men lived several hundred years just after the fall of man, seven, eight, nine hundred years, my suspicion is that may very well be the case during the millennial reign. And now we come to the end. Revelation 20, verses 7 to 9. And when the thousand years have been completed, Satan will be loosed from his present uh, his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to the war, whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up upon the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And so now we are at the end of the millennial reign. And we are told by John's prophetic writing what actually happened. 
What happened is similar to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Note the particular reference in Revelation to a specific theme that was running throughout the Bible and culminates in this book. When you read the book of Revelation, it is a book that deals with last things, the last things. And this rebellion is the final rebellion of Satan against God and man against God. You see, the millennium was a final testing of man under ideal conditions. Here we have multitudes who lived under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, under perfect conditions. And as soon, as soon as Satan is released, they migrate over to him en masse. And so you ask yourself, well, where did this multitude come from? Well, remember, the millennial uh, kingdom started with roughly 3 billion plus people that went into the uh, kingdom plus uh, the surviving nations of, of uh, Israel and so forth and the souls that would have been born in the millennium. And you can find reference to this in Isaiah 11.6, as was mentioned before. So I am presuming that this will have been a time of Earth's greatest population explosion. Disease was eliminated. Earth is producing its bounty. Longevity has become the norm. And the only thing that has not changed in this entire perfect environment is the human heart. The human heart is in continual rebellion against God. Even Paul, in writing to the Roman Christians, indicated that the carnal mind is at war with God. And we see it come to fruition at the end of ideal circumstances. People won't be able to sin in this perfect environment. There won't be any bars or taverns. There won't be strip clubs and, and things of that nature. There won't be anything in this kingdom or any activity that is considered offensive to God. Not one opportunity. And as such, when the people have their one chance to rebel against a righteous holy, living, and a righteous, holy kingdom, they are going to flock in droves over to Satan to destroy this kingdom. And so this final rebellion is man's final act against God. And what follows, once they are destroyed, is the great white throne judgment. Ideal conditions, ideal health, ideal environment, all sufficiency, and God uses the most perfect conditions to show man that he still is at war with God. And now God has brought it all to an end with a complete destruction. Oh, my friends, some of these things might be difficult for you to wrap your minds around. But our purpose in our 21st century is to have a renewed heart and mind to walk with God, to be renewed in our spirit by the word of God and the presence of the spirit of God. We have been encouraging uh, listeners to this podcast to cultivate a relationship with God, as it were, beside still waters. And all that means is to take time regularly 
to sit in God's presence, to hear from his word, to strengthen your heart, to continue to walk with God, to walk as light in a dark world, to be salt, to bring about change, not by picketing and uh, rebellion, but by a changed life. Oh, my friends, this is my prayer today, that you and I and all those who endeavor to walk with God might be used of him to bring about change and blessing to those around us for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.